eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Packs What She Said. Now, here's Perry Goldstein and Maggie Loney. Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by Perry Goldstein. And before we dive into a not great Packers game for the second consecutive week, Perry, longtime listeners of this show will recognize your dad and know that he has never been to Lambeau Field. So let's let's start the show with a little bit of optimism before we get negative and have you describe to our listeners what it was like to take your dad to Lambeau Field for the very first time. Oh, I like this. Um, <laughs> it was my dad and my sister's first time, which was really special. Obviously, everyone listening knows I've been up a handful of times, but um, I think to be able to share that with them, um, how much I love being up there and their longtime Packers fans like like I am was um, it was kind of indescribable, to be honest. My dad's the reason Carly and I are both Packers fans, and he was telling everyone that he met, you know, I've been a Packers fan since 1966, and um, his he's a pretty even keel guy. If you guys listen to the show that we do every Father's Day, you've, you can recognize his voice, and it takes a lot to get him any kind of emotional, and he was pretty giddy all weekend like a little kid, and it was just really great to see. Um, I got a video of him and my sister seeing the stadium for the first time when you walk through to get to your seats and their faces just, they look back at me with just this like awe because that's what Lambeau Field does does to fans. It still does it to me. And I've been there now four, four times. So just an all around great weekend. They got to see what tailgating is like for a noon game at Lambeau, which they were in awe of my sister's like it looks like college um, which it does and um just thankful for everyone who was up this weekend that we got to see and meet and all of the locals who are just the nicest people um because it was great to have my dad kind of relive some of his childhood memories in the hall of fame and to finally get to see a game together 
not the best game to see together, <laughs> but I think it says a lot that we still had the best weekend, even though the Packers were pretty abysmal. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of, it sounds similar to what the London fans said last week, where like, all in all, the experience was phenomenal. And just getting to see your team in person live is really special. And I know you've seen them play at MetLife, but to be able to bring your dad to Lambeau and your sister, of course, is something that I'm sure all of you will remember, even if the game is uh, one that is forgettable. So let's let's jump into that, right? We don't have to spend too much time, I guess, harping on the game in general, but pretty Pretty disappointing performance for a Packers team that in the regular season had yet to lose back-to-back games under LaFleur. Talked about all the ways we thought they could win last week. Kind of laid out a game plan, what we thought you know would make sense. And none of it came to fruition for the Packers on Sunday. Just not, not a good showing. They slide to 3-3. Three and three. They're in eighth place right now in the conference if you're looking that far ahead at playoffs. So they're definitely outside looking in at this point. But There is a lot of football and a lot of season left at this point. So we talked about our concern level after the Giants game, and we both said we were at like a four out of 10. What is your concern level now echoing Jair's comments about if we lose to the Jets, then I'll be concerned. (sighs) Forgot he said that. (laughs) Um, I'm at like a six, maybe. I'm not really hitting the panic button yet because I just think there's so much season left. You know, if we were sitting at like, seven and seven and it it was the end of the season then yeah I I think I'd feel differently but it's still early and there's still a lot of season left but I don't feel great and I think I don't I I really don't feel great about this team right now Um, I certainly don't believe that they are Super Bowl contenders I think that much is pretty clear Um, the defense had a better showing I guess, you know, the the score I don't think necessarily reflects the way the defense played, um, especially in the first half. And I don't necessarily know what to make of this offense. Before this game, I was like, I think the offense is going to figure it out. I still think the offense is going to figure it out, but I don't think that they're going to be any kind of juggernaut that's going to make a deep push here. I think the reason my concern level jumped to a six, though, because records standing three and three, okay. You don't want to lose to these teams, especially with the hardest stretch of your season kind of coming up with, with road games. My concern is the way that they lose. And this yeah. has been a repeated, like just we cannot keep saying the same thing, but we will because we have this podcast and we have to say something. <laughs> and it's just the way they lose. It's the lack of heart. It's the lack of fire. And being there in person, it was so, you could feel it, you know, like, I think Lambeau tried really hard to get loud when they needed to, we were quiet on offense, like, I feel like the crowd very much reflected the way the players were feeling, though. And in the fourth quarter, like, you just couldn't get anyone to get up and cheer for this team, like, There was just, and as much as the defense played their hearts out and gave the offense plenty of opportunities to do something, I I just, the energy was so not there. It was just so not there. And I don't know what to make of just the emotional side of this locker room. And I think until I see some fight and some dog mentality come back, that's why. I'm concerned. 
I took a little bit of heat on Twitter for this, for saying that same thing that I, it just feels like a team that's lacking any type of identity. They're lacking leadership. They're lacking heart and adversity. And I understand that we are all outsiders at this point. Like none of us are in the locker room with them. We don't know the conversations that they're having. We don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. if there's rallying of the troops at halftime and things like that. So I understand that. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a harsh criticism for us to say things like that because we're not the flies on the wall and we don't, we're not privy to a lot of these conversations, but when the general consensus from the media and from, you know, the, the pundits and even just from fans, like you're talking about in the stands, that there's a feeling that something is missing. It's hard to feel like that, that doesn't, you know, hold true to the players as well, because if the players were juiced and if the players had energy and they were hyping up the sidelines and if they felt invested, I think we would have more buy-in, but every time, you know, there was a, a cutaway, you know, the team's looking dejected, they're looking frustrated and, it sucks. Like nobody likes to lose. If you like to lose, you don't play in the NFL. Like that's not, that's not a career path that you choose. So I understand that, you know, sometimes outside factors dictate your mood, but it just, Robert Sala kind of said it in his, his post-game presser. Like this is a team that if you punch them in the mouth, they fold. And it's been the same criticism for three seasons now going into obviously this half of a fourth season under LaFleur and I don't want to put all the blame on him because I don't think it falls solely on him, but it's something that they need to figure out because this is the NFL and teams are going to punch you in the mouth every week and you have to be able to respond to it. Yeah. Hearing it from an opposing head coach really, I think hit harder than I was expecting because I also listened to that soundbite and granted there's a lot of relation there, right? Sala knows LaFleur really well, obviously, his brother is in the Jets organization. But regardless, if opposing teams can see what happens to you when they do that, now granted, they have to be able to do that to you. But if they can see that, they're going to keep going. This is not going to get better. You are playing the Commanders next week, a team you 100% should beat. I thought that about the Giants, I thought about the Jets, but like this is a must win game i don't think anybody sitting out there disagrees with me so i'm gonna say that and then you get the bills after their bye coming off a huge win in kansas city like you are going to keep getting punched down the stretch you have to be able to come back and punt swing back where are the boxing gloves for these players like they just feels like a rag doll in the ring like that's that's the analogy i'm going with so there are so many things wrong with this team right now, right? Like, and it's a trickle down effect. I think the offensive line. Oh my God. I mean, porous, just absolutely abysmal. And you can't run the ball. You can't throw the ball. Rogers got pounded on Sunday afternoon, just absolutely annihilated. And to be quite honest, look, I tweeted out, that I think Aaron Rodgers is a problem with this offense. It has totally blown up and I feel the need to address it (laughs) because I don't like talking poorly about a four-time MVP quarterback, right? We are all aware how talented Aaron Rodgers is. He is one of the best, if not the best, to ever throw a pigskin. You put that aside and you look at six weeks of the 2022 season, which is what I am speaking about. He is not playing well. 
he's just not. You look at the stats, you look at his accuracy, he's not playing well. I'm sure he would admit to you that he is not playing up to his standard of football. Now, are there a lot of reasons why? Of course there are. It's not just him, but he is off. And seeing it live, it felt even more apparent that he was he just looked off. And so credit to the Jets D-line, credit to Sauce Gardner, who looks so legit. <laughs> but you're Aaron freaking Rodgers. Like you should he's just he just wasn't seeing the field. Like there were so many. Sure, it's hard to get the ball off when the offensive line can't block. But when he did have his opportunities, he was holding it. He was missing wide open guys. He can't throw in the flat this season. Just simply <laughs> not. Just, yeah. just, just stop. Like just take that play out of the playbook. Play away. And yes, you get that gorgeous 35 yarder to Lazard, reminding us all what you're capable of, which to me only makes it harder to watch him struggle to pass the ball because you know it's still there. And I just don't understand why it's not always there I guess positively Bobby Tunyon's back it's great to see some tight ends get involved Josiah DeGuara you we got our first Amari Rogers sighting like there are some things but there's nothing holistic in this offense right now anymore that I'm like that's what you're doing well because they couldn't even run the ball on Sunday you ready showtime on May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It was cool to see Bobby Tunyon. You can write this in your your game notes that he set a uh, a franchise record for most receptions by a tight end. Ten is a uh, history for a Packers tight end, which is really cool. Four tight ends had nine, so he sets his own little piece of a uh, Packers history with ten receptions on Sunday. But yeah, I mean, it's it was kind of interesting to me too after the game to listen to Aaron Rodgers talk about how he wanted to simplify the offense, and then hearing Matt Lafleur not in his post-game presser, but his Monday presser, talk about how he doesn't know what that means. And you'd have to ask Rodgers for more details and how like the coaching staff has you know this scheme established and it's about the players to execute. So I don't know if this is like the first time that we're going to see a little bit of contention as far as what the offense, you know, Matt LaFleur wants to run versus the offense that Aaron Rodgers wants to run. But regardless of who wants to run what, you've got to get on the same page. And I, I think that's maybe part of the problem. And I, I understand Roger's point to an extent is saying like, we've got some young guys who we need to simplify this for, but at the same time, if you're not playing into the confines of the scheme, it doesn't matter. Right. Like we we've seen article after article about how there are two offenses and it's the Packers offense and the Aaron Rodgers offense. So right. I think he's part of the complication at times when he's preaching to simplify. I also had no idea what he meant, to be honest, because I don't think the problem is scheme. I think a huge part of the problem is execution, right? If your offensive line is going out there and they can't block anybody, it doesn't matter what scheme you call. Right. It, it's all going to break down. It doesn't matter if, you know, guys are getting open, Matt LaFleur scheming his receivers open if Aaron Rodgers misses them. 
or simply doesn't throw to them or doesn't have the time to get the ball to them for whatever reason, you know, scheme isn't going to fix when Rogers checks out of an RPO and decides to throw, you know, there, there are so many things there. And again, we're not in the building and we could say this ad nauseum, right? This is just our observations, but it very much feels like there is some disconnect. I was talking to Andy Herman, friend of the show about this, because I was wondering all day yesterday, whole drive home, whole flight back, was the Devontae Adams-Rogers connection just a really big bandage for these issues that always existed? Or are these new issues that just happened to crop up this season because of all the personnel changes? Obviously, I don't know the answer because we saw the Devontae Rogers connection. Um, but I do, I I think I've landed on that just feels like new issues. I, I don't know if Devontae being here this season would have really changed anything because it doesn't fix Rogers' apparent level of inaccuracy. It doesn't fix the offensive line, right? It doesn't, we haven't even gotten to the defense yet. So it just feels like this season was maybe a little bit more of a reset. I don't want to call it rebuild, but like, you know what I mean? A resetting than I, as a fan expected, right? Like I expected them to come back and just look like the Green Bay Packers, right? Look like they did the last couple of seasons, look like they do when Matt LaFleur is calling beautiful plays and, and drives. And maybe my expectations were just too high for a team that's kind of brand new. See, and I go back and forth with that because I made a comment about how talent on paper can't win you football games. And a lot of the comments that I got on Twitter were, where is their talent on paper? And I would argue that, especially the defensive side of the ball, there's talent at every single level and it is deep talent. It's not just like, well, they have Jair. They have Jair. They have a player they invested a first round pick in. They have, you know, Rasul Douglas who had a Pro Bowl season. Like you can keep... You can keep stacking where there is talent and depth. And before we dive into the defense, which we will, you know, I think a lot of the problems stem from the execution of the offense. And a lot of those things you already talked about, right? Like if Aaron Rodgers can't get the ball out and he's got 0.3 milliseconds to throw the ball before Quinn and Williams is in his lap, then of course the offense isn't going to function effectively. But I think that a lot of the problems are just compounding on one another so something starts to go wrong and we talked about it after the Giants game the whole just be good right now don't be perfect and I think the problem on Sunday was that the the offense got so overwhelmed that they couldn't even try to be good things just spiraled so quickly and the defense kept a minute the entire first half defense looked really well they gave up 14 points you know like for part of that special teams issues like you know, this the defense did what they could. When your defense gives up 14, 17 points, you expect to win those football games. And it just it didn't happen because this offense was not able to sustain drives and get down the field and had another turnover. Just they're not playing like basic fundamental football. They can't they couldn't even get past midfield. I mean, they would get to midfield and I'd be like, Oh dear, are, are we <laughs> gonna get get there at some point? And oh, I have so many things to say about this team. It like overwhelms me. A little bit because and there's just some decisions right like it's third and three or four and two and you've got a five-step drop back going spread offense like yeah. 
why? Just simply, why are you doing that? It's just some of those decisions. And some of the deep balls, I didn't hate this game, Mm -hmm. but like Rogers chose to target sauce. Okay. He likes to pick on a rookie. Guess what? Sauce don't play like a rookie. That guy (laughs) is so elite. Go pick on DJ Reed, right? Like there were just so many, I'm like, we are not scheming away from what the jets are doing well at all. Um, the other thing for me is, you know, I was really excited when Adam Stanovich got promoted to OC. I thought he deserved it. I thought it made sense. But all of a sudden, the Packers' strength, like their strength has been, they have always had a really great offensive line. And even when guys are hurt, they find a way to plug those holes and get the best five out there. And it hasn't been the best five. And they haven't made any adjustments to that five, right? And I tweeted this out today, and I truly believe the Packers have so much depth at offensive line. Not just depth, but good depth. We saw flashes of their depth in the preseason, and I feel really good about it. And I I just feel like this team is the Albert Einstein definition of an insanity, which is keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And it's like, let's change something up here. Because Elton Jenkins is being wasted at right tackle. He's not where he thrives. You have guys like Zach Tom who, why not put him in there? I mean, Royce Newman's not getting the job done. And I think he's proved it after six weeks in the season. Like, reach into your depth. Do something. Change something. We said this after last week. We said this, like, we've been saying this all week, right? Or all season. Make adjustments because you're just repeating the same exact mistakes every single week and nothing is changing and you're losing football games and you're wasting, like you said, pretty great defensive performances for the most part, or at least defensive performances that allow you the opportunity to win games. Yeah. But they're not making those. Well, and it's unrealistic to think that your defense is going to have this, the performance they had in the first half for an entire game. It's unsustainable and it's unfair to put that kind of pressure on the defense to say, Hey, if you can hold opposing offenses to like six points, we got this. Like at some point the dam is going to break. And, you know, we saw it happen in London. We saw it happen with the Patriots. And if the Packers offense can't get anything done, that says a lot more about the Packers offense than the state of the defense, because at some point they're going to give up the type of run that they did, you know, to Brees Hall or to, to uh, Braxton Berrios. And the thing was like, those are a couple outliers. They had the one, you know, long completion to Corey Davis, but Zach Wilson threw for 110 yards. Like Seriously. they held up when they needed to hold up. And then the floodgates opened because you're talking about a defense that, you know, I thought they played really well. They had Jair shadow Garrett Wilson. That was really cool. That was something that I wasn't expecting to see, but that was, that was an adjustment. So the fact that we're not seeing adjustments on the offensive side of the ball, after all the stuff we heard from Lafleur about him talking to Joe Barry and giving suggestions about how to be more aggressive. He literally told Tom Silverstein today in his presser that this was the worst offensive line performance of his entire tenure with the Packers that he's seen. So in Lafleur's three and a half seasons, this was the worst offensive line play that he's seen. And he talked about, you know, maybe Stenovich talks to them or, you know, is more involved in that room because we saw Hackett do that quite a bit with different positions last season. And however you fix it, I did think that the interesting thing, um, they asked him about shotgun play. 
mm-hmm. and why he played so much or called so many plays from the shotgun. And he had a really interesting answer and response to it and said the game plan basically dictated when they watched on film, the middle of the defense was open when opposing quarterbacks were in shotgun. And it was about keeping one extra hat away from the middle so you could attack the middle of the defense. But then he also followed that up by saying the Jets are really good at disguising their schemes. They were able to make adjustments for our offense and our offense wasn't able to respond. So kind of get into the brain a little bit of Matt LaFleur and it really like you can see what he's trying to do. But the fact that there's not a response where it's like a chess piece going back and forth or chess moves. Mm. If somebody's always capturing your queen, like you need to find a different strategy that you're just bad at chess. And I'm, I'm not saying Matt LaFleur is like a bad schemer or offensive mind, but how do you not have responses to that, especially for a defense that you know so well because it's your best friend coaching it? And it's a defense that the Packers have played against. Yeah. Like Robert Sella is a common opponent here. Look, I very much appreciate Matt LaFleur's accountability. And uh, he actually gets up there and gives real answers, right? He's this very is candid. Not, this is not coach speak. Like he is providing insight. But at the same time, it's really frustrating to hear some of the same answers over and over again, right? You're hearing him say the same thing about Aaron Jones. I'm like, Aaron Jones had nine carries. Nine carries. I'm sorry. But like, that is so unacceptable. Once again, AJ Dillon had 10 carries for 41 yards. Unfortunately, AJ had a really bad fumble and it cost them points. That's the other thing, right? Like the Packers couldn't capitalize on what the defense was giving them. They couldn't capitalize on good field position. They couldn't capitalize on a blocked punt. You know, they, I just feel like the other phases did their best. And obviously special teams also allowed, you know, a blocked punt. And unfortunately the jets were able to capitalize on it, right? Like that was kind of the story of this game because you look at the stats and the jets could barely did anything on offense and they didn't need to do anything more on offense because it was such a low scoring game. They just basically needed a touchdown. You know, it was 17 to three. And I looked at my dad and my sister and I looked at each other and we we're like, this feels insurmountable. Mm-hmm. at this point for this Packers offense and that having Aaron Rodgers under center and feeling that way is such a foreign concept because you've watched him do magic but you just don't feel like there's much magic in this offense right now 2400 sports is an odyssey company 